Imagine that you get the opportunity to go to one of London's fanciest restaurants, and, and you know, going into this, that you are in for a refined and delicious feast. Looking forward to getting that cuisine in your mouth so that you might taste it and be nourished by it. And upon arrival, contrary to your expectations and all that you dreamed, your food sits in front of you and you're forced to look at it and not allowed to eat it. People passing by you say it tastes amazing. You told the maitre d' that you cannot wait to try it. Your waiter spends immense amount of time explaining the meal's exquisite balance of flavors. You've heard its praise. You've stated its praise. You've heard it explained, but you never actually taste it. And such would be Christian worship if we neglected to read the scripture itself aloud. We have talked about how the word is wonderful. We sang about its truth. We hear it explained. But not to read it would be never to taste that beautiful meal from God itself. To fiddle about on the outskirts of scripture but never reading it It's like using your fork to scooter around a lobster tail across your plate with never taking a bite. So we continue then reflecting upon God's ordinary means of grace. Those features of creaturely life that God uses because he's appointed them to apply Christ and his benefits to believers. Namely, his word, read and preached, sacraments, and prayer. And so we continue thinking on the word as a means of grace. As Westminster Shorter Catechism 89 says, the Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners, and of building them up. It's interesting there. It treats unconverted and converted people as sinners needing something, either convincing and converting or building up in holiness and comfort. Holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. So last week, we thought about that especially clause, especially the word preached, and now... Returning to think about the word read. And our main point is then that God's word read is a promise of his presence. God's word read is a promise of his presence. So we're going to think about this in three points. Public reading, private reading, and promising reading. So let's think first about public reading. Uh, Ligon Duncan, who is the chancellor, president, head honcho at Reformed Theological Seminary in the States, once said that 
the re and he has this really deep, amazing, uh, I think, southern accent that just makes everything more significant. The reading of the word of God ought to be an event. Think about that. The reading of the word of God ought to be an event. And if we look at this account in Nehemiah 8 about Ezra reading the book of the law, we find that there is an event where pastor and people are struck by God's power in his word read. And notice the setting itself seems to, to set the stage as if something special and profound is about to happen. The people ask Ezra to bring the book of the law. And starting in verse 2, So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly. Right? So this is the gathered people of God, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate. From early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. There is a a sense here of growing excitement that this is the assembly gathering all who are able at notable time, in notable place, as if this is an event. They knew it was something special about to occur, but also knew it was something special about reading God's word aloud to his people. There's so many things here that actually help us think about why we even do some of the things we do in gathered worship, right? It's a, it's a raised platform. They're above them because they want to see how the word is read. That's why we uh, ended up with things like structured pulpits like that one. Or at least, yeah, something similar. As they, as the people assembled, they were attentive to the book being read. They, they wanted to know what this book contains. They stood for the reading. A practice some Reformed churches still, still hold. Right? The people responded when the word was read to them with Amen, lifting their hands as if they were glad to have the word read to them. That is why some orders of service in Reformed churches still have things like thanks be to God for his word. Because people want to respond. God's people want to respond. As the scripture is given to them. And this, I think, speaks to those who do believe the scripture is God's inspired word. Christians, really, perhaps especially in the West, I guess, um, lament the widespread biblical illiteracy compared to past generations. And at the same time, as you look at what we do 
as Bible-believing Christians throughout the West in our, in our services, well, our services have wildly less Bible reading than they used to include. Most services, including Reformed worship, used to include a, a chapter of Old Testament and New Testament reading, often in addition to the sermon text, typically working consecutively through books of the Bible to read them together as the church. Right? This is one of the reasons why we started reading through whole books of the Bible on Wednesday nights in our prayer meetings. Because we want to read the Bible as the church. It's really not hard to see a connection between a decrease in Bible reading in churches and the decrease in biblical knowledge. I mean, they go right together. The reason for less Bible reading disappointingly, maybe even shamefully, pragmatic. Right? It, it takes too long. People supposedly, supposedly, can't pay attention to that, even though they can make it through 30 to 60 minute television programs. People may not want to listen to long readings, but often, I mean, I mean, I think we can admit that often that might be because God's word is not always read well. And, and that is something that, that has to be a factor. No one should waltz up to, to read not having looked at the text and then end up reading it flatly. It should be read to convey meaning as if this is an event to hear God's word. God's word deserves to be read well. And no, I didn't pick Nehemiah 8 just to prove that I practiced reading those names. It's a very relevant text. Right? I think that, the thing is, like, that's kind of a, almost a criticism out there, in a sense. Or at least it can feel that way. But I, I do think that Reformed churches sometimes at least halfway bought the pragmatic argument. More often, though, I, yeah, I think more often, there, there are, is this odd sort of fear that readings that don't connect directly to the sermon is too ritualistic and might end up making us Roman Catholic. But we should, we should actually take a really careful note that, that, that's an odd thing. One, because it's a, it's a thing to think that. Because one, it's an immense privilege to sit, as we see in Ezra 8. Nehemiah 8, about Ezra. As we see in Nehemiah 8, that it, these people are rejoicing to be under God's word read to them. It's immense privilege to be under the public reading of God's holy word in the company of his people. And we should note to hear it in our own language. There are billions of people around the world that will never hear a pastor read the Bible to them in their own language. That is not an experience that even, I mean, when we think about that ritualism in the traditional Roman mass, 
still is in Latin. Meaning, it is radically Protestant to read Scripture translated so that you can understand it in our worship gatherings. And we we see that point in verse 6 in Nehemiah Nehemiah 8. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then we can jump ahead, can't we, to, to verse 12. And all the people went away to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing. What's it? They're, they wanted to rejoice greatly because they had understood the words that had been read to them. What had been happening there? Ezra had read aloud from God's word and people worshipped and they rejoiced. Too many people, I think, conflate worship with singing uh, as if that's the only... Singing is worship, but it's not the only worship. There's a reason why I'll preface most of our songs, at least I don't know if I do this anymore. I used to do it every week. Let's stand and worship God in song because you're worshiping God throughout the service and there's a moment to do it in song. Or our, our musicians, right? You tend to get an email from me titled Sung Praise because there's lots of praise. Some of it is sung. Reading God's word is an act of worship. One where God moves us by the power of His Spirit because reading His Word is a means of grace. So I think we should never truncate our reading for time's sake especially. If you ever hear a pastor say, I don't have time to read my text today. Well, that's a bad sign. We, I am not more excited about what I have to say than what the words of the Bible are for you. There's an act of unpack. That's what that's what the Levites were were doing, right? Uh, they they went about clarifying what they'd heard. They verse seven helped the people to understand the law. It's not a different message. It's a helping to understand what has been read. And Ezra's account closes, uh, at least the, the formal gathering, because they send them away, closes in verse 8. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense, so that the people understood the reading. Reading should be clear, and preaching happens to elucidate what has been read. To give people the sense so that people understand the Bible. And that is why God uses especially, the, and from our catechism, especially the preaching of the word as a means of grace, very much not because it's disconnected from reading the word, but exactly because it clarifies and applies the reading of the word itself. So that we understand. There's 
I, as a side note, this is the reason why I just really don't like it when I don't get to read my own sermon text. It it feels like getting ready all week for a, a big exciting date and then someone else gets to dance with her. I'm just like, I mean, I don't want to take my wife to dinner and see some other guy dance with her. I don't want to spend all week courting this text of scripture and some other guy dances with it. The public reading of scripture is a significant act of God being present with us. And to read or to hear it read is an amazing experience. Should be. Because it's the worship of God where he is with us. So we've thought about the public reading. And let's think now about our second point, private reading. Private reading. Now, admittedly, we have to do some transition work. (laughs) So we'll think a little bit more about the difference between public and private. So so, uh, our larger catechism asks us, and has, yeah, these documents have a lot to say about the means of grace, and I think that's why they're worth including at times in this series. It asks, is the word of God to be read by all? Now maybe that's a, that strikes you as an unusual question. Evangelicals know we're supposed to read our Bibles, right? But let's see how the catechism parses that out. Although all are not permitted to read the word publicly to the congregation, yet all sorts of people are bound to read it apart by themselves and with their families, to which end the Holy Scriptures are to be translated out of the original or ordinary languages. So we see here, right, like from Nehemiah 8, that not all are permitted to read the word for public worship. The reason is because it's reading is something where God does something. It's a means of grace. And the means of grace are in the hands of the elders, who should then be those who distribute the elements of worship. The reading is then a way that God works through features of creaturely life to apply. So the reading itself is a way that God applies Christ and his benefits to us. And I think that we get a sense of that as we shift gears to think about 1 Timothy 4. So verse 6 kind of sets the, is, is the lead up. For Paul's instruction on, on public reading. He's giving advice to his protege. He's, he's instructing him in growing as a pastor. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrines that you have followed. And so, one of the things going on here is that a pastor shows himself trained when He's going to do these things that are about to be said. But we can also take away from that, from other things Paul says in this letter, that that's not just staying with the pastor. This training is supposed to be handed off. So in verses 7 to 10, Paul described holiness for which to strive. And certainly these things are not limited just to people in ministry. Among the ways that 
Timothy and all other pastors after him should look to contribute to the congregation's holiness is in verse 13. Until I come, I think you should note every every word almost in this. I I, I want to like I don't emphasize and just be monotone, but every word in the rest of this verse is catching. Devote yourself, not casually dip into. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. To exhortation, to teaching. The public reading of God's Word is a means to life. To have the assembly sit under what God Himself announces is a rich blessing, and we are to be devoted to Scripture's public reading. That's where we're instructed to devote ourselves. And so we come to think about private, personal reading. It's good to read your Bible. I hope you read it often. I do. Still, if we, if we think carefully about the Psalms call, frequent call, to meditate on Scripture, those were addressed to a culture who could not own personal copies of God's Word. But were to meditate on Scripture that had been read publicly to them in the assembly. We need to read lots of... Now, here, here's one of the things that I think is, is really helpful to join this up, because I'm not at all trying to discourage you from reading your Bible at home. And we'll think about that here in a moment. But we need to read lots of Bible publicly... Because often that is a primary way that God writes it on your heart. When you hear somebody read it forcefully in a pastoral manner to you, that sticks with you probably more emphatically than the thing you read by yourself. Probably not out loud, if we're honest. And we need to make sure then following that, so that's so coming out of that, how, how do we fit pri- personal Bible reading into that? We need to make sure that we understand how personal Bible reading functions as a means of grace. Because I think we've seen the, the biblical emphasis on the public reading. And now there are two points that I think help us frame our need for clarity as we think about how your personal reading is a means of grace. And these are both concerns that we have to navigate between. So first, um, I've had a lot of conversations with people who think that the substance of the Christian life is, and underline the substance, like the, the main thing that makes them a Christian is the quiet time. Right? N- namely, reading your Bible by yourself. 
maybe with other helps, something like that. That is what faithfulness to Christ is. Now, I'm not, I'm not affirming that. I'm saying this is one of the, the things I hear that concern. The, the problem is not that people read their Bible, and it's not that people are committed to a quiet time. The problem is how often that particular understanding makes people feel as though God's approval of them rests on how often they read their Bible. They read, or they come to think that their relationship with God depends not upon Christ's imputed righteousness and the Spirit's indwelling presence, but upon their ability to make time to read every day, regardless of how engaged and thoughtful that reading might be. The second, so we're, we want to steer the way that we appreciate personal reading away from the first thing. The second thing is I've had other conversations with folks, and I'm not necessarily thinking here, don't, don't be looking around thinking, who is it? Because I'm thinking about the scope of my Christian life, not just time here. So on the other, other hand, people say, I read my Bible every morning. And there are still instances where I don't receive a blessing during the day. Now the assumption here is that, in that statement, is that reading the Bible is like putting a coin in the vending machine, which should then spit out a blessing on you because you did this action. And both mindsets misunderstand Bible reading as a means of grace. Namely, reading the scripture is the blessing. Right? The, the means of grace apply Christ and his benefits. It is that reading that is the blessing because it, it facilitates your communion with God by reading. Reading is not something God commands so that he will approve of you after the fact, nor is it something he demands as a prerequisite to give you some other blessing later in the day. Rather, our time of reading the Bible is communion with God who approves of us in Jesus Christ. And that is, that communion is the blessing we need. I would, perhaps controversially, not that I would ever do that, suggest that it's we can be more blessed by meditating, right, thoughtful processing of the last public reading you heard with good appreciation of God's presence rather than mindless reading in private, right, reflecting well, on what was read to you, indeed is likely to bless you more than just looking at words on a page, as if it earns approval or warrants some other blessing. Scripture's public and private reading is an event where we encounter God sanctifying and comforting believers. So we've thought about public reading, thought about private reading, and now we come to our last point, 
promising greeting. Because the simple, the simple point so far, with all the details sort of surrounding it, the simple point is simply that God does something for and to us as we read Scripture. Reading Scripture is then not an end to, or sorry, is not a, is not a means to something else, since the reading itself facilitates coming on. When we finally get to dig into that fancy restaurant meal, right, and taste its delicious flavor, when we come to that point, we don't act as if that taste, that nourishment, is then meant for some other later payoff? It is the payoff. Enjoyment of beautiful things is an end to itself. And so too with reading the Word of God. Since reading God's Word is to have Christ and His benefits applied to us, When by faith we hear or put our eyes on Scripture's inspired phrases. Larger Catechism 157 helps us to see what it means to read with faith, asking how is the Word of God read? The Holy Scriptures are to be read with a high and reverent esteem of them, with a firm persuasion that they are the very Word of God, and that He only can enable us to understand them with desire to know, believe, obey the will of God revealed in them, with diligence and attention to the matter and scope of them. Here we go. With, with meditation, application, self-denial, and prayer. We need to take account of why reading God's Word, reading God's Word, makes God present with us as an application of Christ and His benefits. Speech itself is always connective. Isn't it? There's a reason why we find it odd when someone is not just sort of like a muttering of a phrase, but like genuinely talking to themselves in public. Like it's off-putting. And it seems odd because speaking is supposed to be an intersection between you and others. And there is a reason why, as Pastor Andy has unfolded for us recently, John's Gospel begins by calling God's Son the Word. The Son comes forth from the Father, being an exact imprint of His nature. So making God Himself go forth from God Himself as our words are the way that we make ourselves go forth to others. The other in the Godhead, of course, being the Spirit. Since creation, though, the other to whom God gives himself by his word, 
Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 3, identifies God's own speech with his own nature. Since the Son is the Word bearing the divine essence, the author writes, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. The Son is again God's word, we see. Spoken to us by the Son. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, the Word, that is, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the Word of his power. We know that God has spoken to us in his Son. God gives himself to us In the word, the Son, Jesus Christ. Because we had separated ourselves from God by our sin, Christ Jesus, the divine word, came to bring us back to God, granting us God's own presence in his person and reconciling us to God so that we might enjoy his presence by his work. The scripture, as the direct message from God, then promises his presence to us. That scripture, that the scripture is God's word, then extends Christ's presence into our lives. The written word, applying the incarnate word and his benefits to us as we read by faith. As our eyes and ears both serve to receive the scripture so that we might know God increases our faith that receives Christ so that we might know God in his grace. The risen Christ, the risen Christ speaks from heaven to you Because scripture is about Christ for his people. Let's pray. Father God, we are glad that you give us means, plural, of grace. That you make yourself present among us in multifold ways. And that the foundation of all of that is that you have spoken, bringing yourself into this creation by your word, connecting yourself to us by your word, by the word, the incarnate word for fallen sinners, by your inscripturated word, so that we might always know what you have delivered to your people as the truth, and for our reconciliation. We pray 
You deepen our love for your written word. We pray that as we wake up tomorrow, that as we pick up our copies of God's word, we might open it not as empty routine, but knowing that to open that book and to put our eyes upon its words is to meet with the risen Christ. To have him and his benefits given to us in those moments as we drink in your word. We ask that we might indeed find your word precious in new ways, regardless of how deep our love was for it. We pray that we might leave with a deeper love for it and an excitement about its reading. We pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus.